0: Some Roanoke co ed comes by and says, Are you doing a show?
1: Do it. I can say that.
0: Do
2: it. Are you guys doing a show?
1: We could just ask her to come back and do it.
2: Uh, yes, we are doing a show, aren't we? The 350th of your show, Patrick. Podcast
0: 350, and it comes to you once again from a pizza place in Salem, Virginia.
1: football fans it's now time for the d3football.com around the nation podcast here are your hosts matt coleman
2: you have a very forceful handshake mr coleman
1: and greg thomas
0: thank you greg that was interesting, too. There have been 50 seasons of Division Three football. We've covered it through 25 complete years. We've had a podcast since 2007. It's the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, the only podcast directly from the folks at D3Football.com. We've been here every week all season because we
3: live and breathe this stuff. I'm Patrick Coleman, the executive editor of D3Football.com. I'm Greg Thomas. I write around the nation at D3Football.com. I'm Keith McMillan. I'm the resident D3Football.com historian.
2: I'm Frank Rossi, and I'm just leaving glitter all over the place wherever I may roam right now. (laughs) And we have extra guests here, too. We have
0: Ryan Tips, uh, who might uh, contribute a little bit. We have JB, James Baker, who we definitely will expect to hear from. We have the whole crew of D3 Photography behind us who uh, we definitely expect to hear from as well. Let's hear it for D3 Photography. Woo! Woo! Yeah, they're not paying attention enough to uh, participate in this. And, uh, yeah, we are here at Mac and Bob's in Salem, Virginia, as we have been twice before for semi-live podcasts after Stag Bowls, And this is after Stag Bowl 50, the one won by Cortland, 38 to 37. There There you go. Live reactions. That's right. There's totally a studio audience tonight. They (laughs) defeated North Central by the score of 38-37. to We are watching highlights here on ESPNU right now. A game which I have to ask the table now
2: before the next round of pizza comes. Best stag bowl ever? I've been at 16, and this was the best of 16. We'll put it that way. So there's a starter for you. Now go back further for those of you that can. I can only go back for 24
1: of them. It's the best ones of those, though.
3: For yeah. me, yeah, yes. I think when
1: you when you put the context together with the gameplay, right? It was a, a game that that came down to a two-point conversion with 80 seconds left, and then the context of sort of this storybook team. It's always been a really good program, playoff-level program, but but certainly not one. That we consider in the national championship picture, uh, going against a team trying to win its third Stag Bowl in four years—the the context of it, the way it happened, two quarterbacks uh, going ham in, in the second half—I um, mm, just ham. think it was, yeah, it was it was up there. I am not have a pizza with ham.
3: I did not get to order Hawaiian this year, Greg. I think for me, uh, most exciting Stag Bowl I've seen. I'm gonna have to get some. Uh, do some more analysis to determine if it's the best or not, but the most exciting for sure. You know, you had a, a really unexpected first half, 7-3. to three. We expected fireworks all over the place from the get-go. Uh, it took a half, but we got there. And in the second half, it's just big play after big play after big play. And then in a season, Pat, where we've been talking about going for two all season, the Stag Bowl <laughs> comes down to a two-point play that Cortland... Stops. We're gonna. I'm sure we're gonna revisit
4: that. JB, best stag bowl you've been to? Absolutely, yes. Um, The the one and only, and it'll be hard to top that. But you know, in thinking in the in the context of all the stag bowls I've watched over the years, um, and Frank reminded me that maybe the 2007 game. You know, just the fact that you had a a team that went into this game as such a big underdog and to win their first championship, it was. None of us really saw it coming, and the way Cortland you know, played and showed up was just, it was amazing. I mean, one of the best live sporting events I've been to, probably top five in my entire life.
0: Now, as we are here at Mac and Bob's, the uh, replay of it on ESPNU is going on in real time. we I don't know if we'll get to skip ahead to further action. We're going to recap it. We're not going to recap it in real time.
5: Ryan Tips, best stag bowl. Well, I've seen every salem stag bowl since 2004 definitely some memorable games but i gotta echo what greg said is i think this the unexpectedness of this really made this stand out so yeah i would say it's best i don't know favorite yeah yeah and i
1: don't i don't even think that's recency bias i i think um again the the excitement of the game the context of it pat and i have seen um, and, Frank, I think you've been for at least one of them, some three-point stag bowls before, right? Yep. Whitewater beat Mountain Union 13-10. St. John's in Mountain Union played a 10-7-1. The, the one where St. John's beat Mountain Union, that was on the similar level as far as uh, unexpectedness. But St. John's was a powerhouse program. And, again, again, just the Cortland breaking through and the way this game ended, too, uh, and, and the second half being such a shootout. Right.
2: When it comes to football, I base it on the four-quarter approach, though, because we've seen great endings before. But I, I'm looking at the full game. I'm looking at the fact that in the first half we had a 7-3 to game that we expected to be a 70-30 to game in some respect or another. Certainly okay? some people
1: felt that yep. way. Yeah. Just but want
2: you guys to appreciate the defense when you see it. Absolutely. <laughs> but We got a whole 30 minutes of it, man.
1: And then we're like, all right, we're done with that.
2: And then like one play at the end. But you know, seven to three in the first half, and we all walked away from a defensive first half feeling fulfilled. That oh, this is a great game. Worst being surprised. Second half, you know, the rest of the story. Obviously, that was frenetic and heart stopping, and everything else. So for a complete game, this thing was up there. Period! Exclamation point. We don't know all of the things about all of the previous games, right? So there was
0: a game in 1990 that went to overtime. Allegheny defeated Lycoming in 1990 in overtime. Of course. And then there was a game in 1976 where Towson State was up big on St. John's, and St. John's rallied back and rallied back, won it at the end 31-28. I don't have the details on all of those to really make an accurate judgment. I can only say that, yeah, in the five-round era, absolutely the
3: best stag ever right
0: we didn't really talk about 2001 that's a great game too and greg keeps wanting to jump in i apologize
3: i just want to throw in you know 1977 uh widener (laughs) over wabash uh, wabash driving to get a game winning score as time runs out billy white shoes johnson
2: right i was one year old how old were you greg
3: (laughs) (laughs) all right about that one
0: i'm sure we'll have plenty of randolph macon talk in this podcast as well And we got a little Wabash talk in there as well. Whether that's the best stag ever or not, in my opinion, sort of, does it matter necessarily? It was an amazing stag bowl and worthy of stag bowl 50 and worthy of the return to Salem, Virginia.
2: And also it has shockwaves throughout a division right now that thought it knew what was the new paradigm. All right.
0: Good transition. It's as if you saw what was next on my notebook, which is... The recalibration of where we look at region one, region two, or the east region, or however you want to think about east side of the house versus west side of the house. Even in our basketball world, we don't necessarily have a lot of opportunities for the east side to show superiority against the west side. The west side seems to win so many things that aren't lacrosse, field hockey, etc etc but this was a this was a night tonight and then my question is if we look at the big picture of division three football we've had now these couple years where veteran squads guys with a couple of extra fifth years which is not really what courtland is right but that has changed kind of the power balance in division three football over the past few years and then it will probably change again I, all in this wandering around is to say it makes it a lot of fun to be a fan of Division Three football right now because over the course of the past 24 years or so, more often than not, you kind of know who's going to contend.
2: Okay, I'll pick up what you're trying to drop here uh, and see what I can do with it.
0: I'm trying to drop it. Thank you.
2: Yeah. Yeah. He- I had a chance to talk with Charlie Baker, the president of the NCAA, tonight, actually. And I asked him a question about... Did I
0: miss that live interview S- on speaking our Speaking
2: of dropping... It will eventually come uh, your way and our way and everything else. But, all right. That uh, did happen. That's good to know. As a preview, well, that's why I ran downstairs or ran back up and uh, got changed off 13 times. Uh, one of the things I asked him about was the transfer uh, portal and the effects it's having on D3 and whether or not it's going to be reconsidered at all. And it sounds like the answer is No that they're comfortable with what is going on right now to a certain degree. Uh, They're more concerned about sports wagering than they are about the transfer uh, portal right now. I would be, too, for what it's worth. Yeah, Well, with 70% of uh, athletes, student-athletes, admitting they bet, yeah, I guess that's right. But my point being this, I think that this idea of recalibration after COVID is over, I don't know if that's the case. I, I don't know if it's permanent or not, Pat, but I think there is an effect going on here because what where's Mount Union in this conversation anymore uh, to a certain degree? They haven't shown up in a little while, it feels like.
0: Well, and to my thinking, what I am talking about is really just extra eligibility floating around for so many guys, right? I'm not talking about the transfer portal changing. I don't think the transfer portal changes, but we don't have as many guys who are 24 years old, 23 years old playing in some of these games. Good point. And when we get a, you know, once once we run out of that pipeline, and I was talking with Kevin Gilmartin at Salve Regina way, way back about this earlier this year. It's like there's going to be adjustment period because so many guys who haven't gotten to play because they've been behind guys who've been there for five years will have a, an adjustment to playing big time roles in big time games.
4: One, one thing I'd throw in there, though, is I, I did talk to a Region 2 coach, and he, he said pretty adamantly that he thinks that the transfer portal is going to be the future for Division Three and that every year it's yeah. going to be yeah. a, a rebuilding thing for a team. it's not You're not going to have guys in a class for four seasons. And it's going to be a totally different paradigm. I, I, that's, that's what at least one coach I know and, and respect said.
1: And we're seeing it at the basketball level, too. Well, I think a recalibration that that seemed to take place this season, not necessarily related to the, to the details that you brought up, but uh, this was a postseason without Mary Harden Baylor in it, right? Without St. John's, without Linfield. St. John's had a perfect opportunity to be here. They fit the
0: color scheme perfectly. Yeah, there's a lot of, <laughs> lot of red
1: and white tonight. Uh, You see it around uh, around here at this bar at at Mac and Bob's. And then, yeah, Mount Union going out in the second round. uh, Gave up 24 points in the fourth quarter to Alma and and, uh, blew a lead. And suddenly blew that side of the bracket open, right? We knew two weeks ago either Cortland, Alma, Randolph-Macon, or Johns Hopkins was going to go to a stag ball. We didn't know they were going to win. And then you have some some other teams on the other side. You know, Whitewater's still in the mix. but I've it was just a very it was, it was a very different looking um, bracket this year because the power teams were North Central was, is the new national powerhouse, and then you had Wartburg and, and uh, Wisconsin Lacrosse, and some other teams making a push that I think are a little bit unfamiliar as you get into week three, four five of the, of the postseason.
0: All right, so we are here live at Mac and Bob's. We did not do like a full-on live show, but there are a couple of Cortland fans here. Congratulations on the win. All right, so tell us how you came to be in Southwest Virginia tonight.
6: So I am Cortland alum. I met my husband at Cortland State. What's your name? My name is Sarah Woodard. Yeah, he's a little yeah. bit older than I am. He played on the Cortland State '88 first undefeated football team at Cortland State. That kind of put them on the map. Fran agrees. Yeah, the right fan. Yeah, regular season. Yes, uh, yes. And um, so we we are. I he's a huge fan, and I cheered at Cortland State, and we met at Cortland State, at the Dark Horse, and (laughs) uh, we stayed, and we have four children, and we're both educators, and (laughs) he's my son, and uh, yeah, he's one of the four, one-fourth, and uh, yeah, we were like, we're going, they're going, we're going, so down we came, and it was an exciting game, and we had a blast, and we are so excited, and, and... humbled and amazed to be part of the history of Cortland State football so go see state.
2: Can I ask you a quick question? A lot of people talk about how uh, alumni that you've never seen come to football games came to the last couple games for last week Randolph-Macon in fact I heard some people uh, talk about this as well for Randolph-Macon's squad but Cortland as well that people that you never see a football game start popping up into the last couple games is that what was happening here
6: I, I wouldn't say that. I think Cortland State has a huge football following. We have always had a huge football following, as well as our, our other sports, our soccer, our lacrosse teams. We have a, a an amazing Division three program going on at Cortland State. We are super proud of our Dragons. And I think people, um, Fran, if you w- would agree that we are we – are we're bleeding red. Dragons are real, and here you know, and here we are on the map now. Well, congratulations!
2: Uh, you I, got yeah. a reward
0: for it. If people so. are bleeding red. That's important. Uh, <laughs> dragons are real. I will dragons sign off on that. That's a great. Uh, that's a great line for the night. I love it. Thanks awesome. for coming
2: over. Yeah, 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 and I,
1: I will say, and I think this is relatable to to a lot of our listeners is that for Cortland, we saw it the past few weeks. I think you know Randolph, making and um, even Alma. Uh, getting a chance to, um, to to go deep into the playoffs—it's kind of cool when it's your when it's your alma mater for once. Oh um, yeah, you know. Oh, yeah. And, and I think even when it was Whitewater, Mount Union, Mary Harden, Baylor, North Central, it never it never would get old to them because there's always new people rotating through the teams. Um, but it got old to a lot of other people around the country who, j- who just got tired of seeing the same teams. And so to see Cortland State get here, get here, put on for for the East right, the first championship since 1991 for a Northeastern team, and then to give a lot of other programs, you know, 30, 40, 50 programs that feel like they're at playoff level or on the cusp of playoffs now can see a path for themselves to
2: getting to Salem and winning. Right. Well, let me let me throw out something to the uh, panel here.
0: Okay. Is I'm overdue for a break, but go on.
2: Is the selection committee vindicated because they got basically this – bracket system that people absolutely despise it seemed like and they end up getting all these unique matchups and (laughs) despite all this consternation they end up with you know justification for it at the end of the day with courtland winning are they vindicated or was it kind of a happy ending for them but not a vindication for them
0: typical frank rossi question that takes a minute and a half to ask we'll take it after the break
1: Shots fired.
0: Can't go any further. We've already gone like 16 and 17 and a half minutes into this podcast without recognizing the people who sponsored this podcast throughout the entire season. And, of course, that is our friends at the table behind us or the table behind Frank and Ryan and JB, the friends of ours at D3Photography.com. D3Photography.com is the photographers bureau that covers division three sports across the country across a wide range of sports not even just the ones that we cover and they were here with it looks like six photographers tonight thank you ryan for holding up six fingers i appreciate that in case i forgot how many people were here tonight we're very thankful for your coverage tonight how many photos do you think you guys shot tonight you do you know the answer he knows the answer folks Thirty-four hundred. No, 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 no. The over is uh, the over-under's got to be ten thousand three sixty-one point five. No, under. So, <laughs> all right, under.
3: I got the under. I'm staying on thirty-four hundred. Under ten thousand.
0: Under ten three sixty-one. I don't know. I just made it
3: up. Yeah, t- under ten thousand.
0: All right, what do we got? Everybody went under. I, I was I'm going over. It's why I picked it's a not, high number. It's not the first time tonight. <laughs> Six, 30, say again. Thirteen thousand. So 13,635 photos were shot. I suspect no more than like 3,000 of them will end up in the gallery.
1: Thank you. So then I would be right. I asked how many were shot. Well, if the evidence doesn't exist, did it really
0: happen? (laughs) (laughs) And, of course, you can find it on D3Photography.com. There, of course, is a special discount code for the first person who goes and puts photos in a cart and makes an order it is stag bowl five zero stag has two g's you don't want to get this coupon code wrong stag bowl five zero that person will get 50 percent off of their cart at d3 photography.com they have covered so many uh, they've covered so many games here in this bracket with photography and all of those people and war are here at this event to make sure that this event was covered well I know that I had so many photos from the crew in my inbox during the game that my inbox filled up, and I could no longer take more images from this team to put on the front page of the website. This is true. This is a thing that happened. 87 of the 1,200 games on the season for Division Three football were covered by these folks, and you can get high-quality photos and high-quality prints there. I've talked a lot.
2: That's 7.5% of all the games in Division Three. Is yeah. it over or under? Okay. All right good math so go
0: to d3 photography.com that is letter d the number three photography.com and thanks to d3 photography.com for sponsoring the d3 football.com around the nation podcast all right frank asked a question does this vindicate the committee i don't really care necessarily about vindicating the committee i think that you know Cortland wins the national championship by beating the team that beat Wartburg. They could have easily gone to Wartburg this past Saturday. Not easily. They also could have gone to Wartburg this past Saturday and won, obviously. I don't think that Cortland winning this game vindicates a bracket that didn't have any crossover essentially whatsoever. Crossover doesn't mean that we would have had a different result, and I open it to the floor.
4: I can throw it out there. I mean, I, if, if you're a North Central fan, maybe you could argue the fact that the road – to the stag bowl was so difficult but by the time you got there your team is banged up and really maybe not able to operate at full full strength we did see some top defensive players like antoine walker's not in the game we had a few other injuries so maybe they're not 100 percent. but at the same time that's football right if you play it for 15 weeks um guys are gonna get banged up and and you only have a 58 man roster it is what it is, but um, obviously the better team won, I think, and it was a great game. Didn't
0: Walker's injury occur in a game that they won by 40? That, yeah, which is interesting <laughs> because you'd think <laughs> he would have been out. <laughs> they would have beaten anybody else by 40 in that round, right? I, I, I get what you're saying, and obviously attrition happens, right? Um, I don't know about individual injuries. Obviously, you're right. Guys get worn down. I totally get that. It's not like Cortland was
2: untested in this bracket, right? Oh, They were tested in different ways. I mean, the team that beat Mount Union, obviously, they had to come back and beat after a 34-34 first half. Last week, Randolph-Macon is no slouch, and they absolutely... I'm sorry, Keith, but I mean the, the, you watched the same game I did, and uh, you, you had to walk away with the same feeling. I did so, watch
1: it. I appreciate you bringing it up again. I'm.
5: <laughs> <laughs>
2: I'm here to help. Wasn't this a
5: question though that we also had? Maybe the second or third year after Mount Union and Whitewater started playing each other, Mount Union started getting punted to the to the East bracket at the time, and while it was set up to where the top two teams met in the end there was a lot of argument that there wasn't balance in getting there and i feel like that's kind of what we had this year is that even yeah these these were the top two teams and i'm not not going to argue that in any way shape or form but the roads were so different
0: yeah there's often been that question about mount union going through a quote unquote east bracket in the days where the east hadn't won a national championship since 1991 or played in a championship game since 1999 but you know i think all that what that does is it means that you don't have a national semifinal that's a blowout except when you beat bethel 62-14 and you beat bridgewater 66
1: nothing. i guess blowouts happen anyway yeah they do i mean i i think we're asking the uh, a missed two-point conversion to do a lot of heavy lifting here right this this game could have easily been a North Central win and then everything that we're saying right now uh, is is uh, untrue and we believe what we believe. Look, it's, it's unequivocally true that over the past 25 years, the, the power in Division Three has been in the Midwest and somewhat to the West and occasionally in Texas. If you look at a D3 map, most of the schools are in the Midwest, Mid-Atlantic and Northeast anyway. So I think what's significant about uh, what happened in Salem on Friday night is um, is again Cortland opened the door and they finally did it. Like there were so many times where uh, where a team from the East, especially if we're counting Wesley, uh, was close, had the horses, had the team to do it, and just didn't get it done. There were plenty of great teams uh, coming out of Upstate New York and, and the NJAC over the years, and it, and it never happened. Saint John
2: Fisher. But I
1: mean, I I also think it's it's oh it's true that. Warburg and, and Wisconsin lacrosse and Whitewater and north Central as a group most years are
2: stronger than than other regions at 3131 I said to myself on the sideline even if Cortland loses this game yeah that this was a win for Cortland and for that side of the bracket that there is nothing to take away from them at that point because this thing went completely haywire compared to what the entire prevailing thought of the game before the game was and right I mean
0: our, right. there is our prevailing thought as a panel that we're looking for a high scoring one or two score game and then there's like the social media
2: lopsided everything. craziness
0: of 70 to 30 and 61 to 21 and all of that right and, and I feel like it it still sort of lived up to what we said obviously no one on staff picked Cortland to win only Cortland alums or picked Cortland to win i get that um when i was going to finish that sentence but it sounds like keith wants
1: to talk so i'm gonna let him finish that sentence i, I did i did pick a uh, a shootout and it held up no i think i think frank join the group i i got to where you got uh you know maybe even earlier in the game 10-7 i'm like Look, Cortland is the number two team in the country, right? We all have to go back and fill out our top twenty-five ballots. Some people may have done it even before the game, but we'll go back and uh, now Cortland is, is number one. Uh, North Central, I think, is number two, and then sure. you know, then you start deciding: uh, is or it Grove Wa- City, right? Is it no. is it Warburg? <laughs> no, no, I, I think that's legit. Is it Warburg and, and Wisconsin Lacrosse? Is it Grove City and Endicott? You know, how who do you who do you put in there? Do you wait? Endicott uh,
0: lost to Ithaca, so no.
1: Yeah, and then Ithaca lost to – hey, everything comes back to up. <laughs> no, um, I, I mean, I, I think at some point, right, like you do have to look at bodies of work, 13 season, thirteen games, 12 games a season. I mean, there, there are going to be a lot of teams that uh, you can't square every result at this point in the season, but I do think the game tonight did give us some <laughs> way to say that balance <laughs> is present in Division Three right now. And I don't think this is the first game – Throughout the season, that's shown the balance, right? You go back to, like, Endicott, uh, Harden-Simmons, whatever. But, like, this proved it. Greg, co-host of Around the Nation, talk. Mm-hmm. I think when it comes to bracketing. Oh, say
3: w- why. I didn't hear you very much. When it, when it comes to bracketing, you, you, when you have such a concentration of teams in the Midwest that are all so good and so powerful and ranked in our top ten, which is not a criteria at all, but... Given the way that the committee has to bracket teams, you can't get those teams far away from one another for very long. You just can't do it. You can't build a bracket with Whitewater and some teams from the East Coast. You just cannot do it. I think what was nice to see this year is we saw some more interregional play. We saw Harden Simmons go to Endicott. So we got to see yep. some Texas versus Northeast. And now we've seen, you know, Cortland play Randolph Macon a little. Northern versus a little more southern, not quite uh, what we what we uh, associate with, you know, the ASC necessarily. But um, but then we saw Cortland again go into the uh, the Midwest or the Great Lakes region, beat Alma, and now we've seen Cortland beat North Central. So we've seen some intersectionality play here that I think helps knock down some of those. Preconceptions about how good football in the East is.
2: Intersectionality.
3: Intersectionality is a word. I like preconceptions too, uh, by the way.
0: Preconceptions is a word.
2: I I don't have enough money for those words uh, on me right now.
0: All right, so one of the things we have sort of neglected to do up until this point, a half hour into the podcast, is actually do some game recap when it was mentioned just a few moments ago about a two point conversion stop with 80 seconds to go. Or a 31-31 tie in the final five minutes of the game. I feel like we should kind of maybe recap the final moments of the game. Or maybe the whole final quarter it was 17-17 going into the fourth quarter. You've got the uh, Joe DeVio pass from Zach Boys to make a 24-17. Laynen and North Central respond with a three-play 65-yard drive. And then it was... The next drive in which another pass to IDVO for a touchdown resulted in a 31-24 lead. And then Luke Lane ran for 64 yards, and it was 31-all. And then Burgess scored too soon, probably, almost definitely, at the end of a 10-place 73-yard drive with 5.28 to go, a 21-yard pass that he skirted the sidelines to go into the end zone. And then the 60-yard pass from Lane to D'Angelo Hardy. I've just skirted through a whole bunch of really interesting things in the fourth quarter to lead us to two-point conversion. And there are a lot of things, I think, that are possible play of the game, right? And I think, you know, absolute play of the game, if you're doing the math thing where, like, this is the play where the win probability changes the most, is the two-point conversion stop, right? Obviously. My unsung play of the game is... Kurt Fitzpatrick's time out right before this
2: and I open it up to anybody else who has thoughts about other unsung plays of the game. Cortland fourth and five converting near midfield. This was a drive where they were tied 31-31 and clock starting to get a little dry there and I think they were at what the 43-yard line 42. I've been uh, somebody behind me. Fran Elia good right here with the play by, by play. play.
0: Thank you for that. Thanks,
2: Fran.
1: SID's gone. SID going uh,
2: SID. At the 42 yard line, uh, fourth and five, and they convert it. And uh, was it not a Zach Boys run to do it again? It wasn't
0: supposed to be a Zach Boys run from everything we could see, but that's what it ended up being.
2: But it was part and parcel of the entire game, but at a crucial moment that allowed them to eventually get to. 38 31 which that 38 was the winning number ultimately for them So that play right there if they do not convert that play we are talking about a different winner of this game
0: That is most that's certainly possible Zach boys rolls out to the right and he's looking for his two receivers who are both Completely locked up in one-on-one coverage And he runs it himself instead for 12 yards And then you bring in Ashton Capone right where the running game really hasn't had aside from boys A whole lot of success, right? Handing off to a running back hasn't worked so much for Cortland all night. Capone goes up the middle for six. Capone goes up the middle for three.
2: And that's clock killing mode right there. Well, it's
0: clock killing mode, and it's successful, though, because they could run, you know, you could run it straight into the line and get nowhere, right? But instead, you've got a third and one where you are on the 21-yard line. You have a play to play with, right? You know it's four down territory in this situation, I assume. And, you know, boys is able to you know, it's just a little swing pass out, right? But Burgess turns it into that twenty-one yard touchdown. It was, you know, because it was third and one, you had a little freedom to kind of do whatever you wanted with it.
3: Unsung plays. I'm going to go with Zach Boy's scramble late in the second quarter. Uh, after North Central finally gets on the board, Zach Boy's uh, makes a big scramble, gets hit late out of bounds. They get an extra fifteen yards. It gives Cortland an opportunity to kick a field goal right before halftime. Kurt Fitzpatrick. Talk to us in the post-game presser about how important those three points were, just for confidence, just to get on the board and be in the game, and knowing that they were going to get the ball coming out of the half to you know put together a drive and try to take the lead. He talked about the the middle eight, the last four of the the uh, first half and the first four of the second half, and I I mean North Central scored in those periods also, so they got the ten points sandwiched around halftime that I think really. Uh, propelled what happened in the rest of the game. Mm sandwich.
1: Yeah, and and I think uh, if you go back, uh, you know, in a thirty-eight thirty-seven game, right, it's, it's a little weird to talk about something from the very beginning of the game, but one of Kirk Fitzpatrick's keys to the game was to hang in in the first 15 minutes, let his players know that they belong on his field with North Central, and, uh, you know, the longer they stay in, he felt like they had been in enough close games to uh, that, that this would this fit their style and, and they would be um, they would play well in a close game. And so I go back to to this uh, fourth down attempt from um, Luke Lanin D'Angelo Hardy, wide open in the end zone in the early going. And Luke Lane told us in the post game that's a that's a pass he hits nine times out of ten. And uh, unfortunately for North Central that was tonight was the tenth one. He just uh over overthrew it a little bit.
4: I would silence tears Right off his fingertips, I I was right in the end zone. This is the pass
1: to Hardy in the back of the
0: end zone that we just saw on the monitors here about 10 minutes ago, too.
1: Right, and again, you know, in in a 38-37 game, does a play in the first first quarter matter a lot? Obviously North North Central uh, rolled up plenty of points, enough points to win. Um, But they had 583 yards on Friday night, uh, 404 yards rushing, 37 almost feels kind of low for those kind of numbers. Oh, sure. And part of the reason is because they failed one time because of the penalty and one time uh, because of that pass on fourth down. They failed twice on fourth down early in the game, and so a game that could have been 14-3. Brad Spencer said he felt like it should be 21-3. Could have been. At
2: halftime. He's right.
1: Um, you the know, the first quarter. it was 7-3, It was, seven. It was seven-three. and uh, at that point, you know, Cortland's right in the game, and then they start going uh, toe-to-toe with each other. Does this half. mean I missed last call because the light just went on? <laughs>
2: I think we're allowed to go another uh, round.
1: And, and I, I think I think we should talk about the two-point call. Kurt Fitzpatrick, maybe Greg and I will take this because we talked to him about it in the postgame. Uh, it was a, a sprint sprint right, uh, kind of a half sprint out. D'Angelo Hardy is going to maybe uh, come open at the front pylon. So you either throw that ball low and away, and he has a chance. And if it's not there, uh, Luke Lane will, uh has a chance to run it in. Pat, your uh, unsung play was calling the timeout on that two-point two play, and I'll tell you why uh, that, was, that was spot on. We nailed this uh, on the broadcast. We talked about it, and uh, what Kurt Fitzpatrick told us was exactly what ended up happening. After that timeout, you get off your, your number one two-point play because you've already sure. shown it, and you go to the second-best play on your card, and in that, uh, that case, it was the Luke uh run to the uh, to the short side, and uh, Cortland was all over it defensively, and and that calling that time out, having North Central change its play, um, Brad Spencer said he didn't regret going for two. He wished he called a better play.
2: So he did change the play,
1: and it's exactly what what. Kurt Fitzpatrick said exactly what we said during the broadcast is you call that timeout so you can see what their best play is and hopefully yeah. get them out of it they felt confident that they weren't going to run the same play
2: and in fact they didn't the reason I'm surprised to hear you say that or him say that is that I, I feel level I saw the start of that play when the timeout got called because it was about two seconds into it that all the whistles finally stopped play and it looked like Luke Lane was going to keep that ball still, but maybe roll right instead of left in that situation. Right,
0: there's multiple ways to do that, yep. obviously. Right? So, yeah.
2: But nonetheless, it, it always seemed like some sort of Luke Lehnen RPO scenario there. It just may have played out differently from how they lined it up.
1: Yeah, it was a it was a sprint pass right the first time, and then it was a design run to lane in to the left, which was a short side of the field the second time. Jaden Martinez, Naz Jean Lubin was all mm. over it. I, I know yeah. they've been saying Jean Jean Lubin all day, and maybe I'll
0: pronunciation 101. Beunavistek bell
7: Beunavistek Muhlenberg Gallardi Naz Jean Lubin.
0: I've been told that's correct. True, true freshman.
7: Naz Jean Lubin.
0: All right.
6: Game ball. Game ball. Game ball. Game balls.
0: Does anybody have a game, game ball, ball that's balls. not going to go to Zach Boys? I guess, is my question here, though? I mean, if you want us to go off the board, how about
1: uh, Joe Idivio? Joe I-D, right? Everyone knows Cole Burgess is going to get his. Yep. J.J. Lapp is a threat deep down the field. But North Central is banged up in the secondary, and they have to deal with three, three- top-notch pass threats, I thought uh, IDVO not only on the touchdown catches but uh, but made some some uh, key catches on third down to uh, keep the chains moving. So if we got to go off the board, I know my, my bit is usually to take a defensive guy, but but I thought he, he made Cortland's offense really tough to stop.
2: Well, yeah, and I'll, I'll add to that if I can. He added a third receiver of guardability on top of a rush game this is why the pressure to Zach Boys wasn't very effective, I think, tonight, because they had too many other things to stop in the process. And so by the fourth quarter, the pressure in the backfield against Zach Boys was almost non-existent because now they're really ha- going to have to pay real homage to IDVO and the other two as well. And so that's why Zach, I think, had a little time to make the decisions he had to make. Not to say he didn't make some great decisions, but there you have it.
0: I'm going to throw it out to Fran Aaliyah to talk about Joe Idevio a little bit too.
7: Well I just wanted to mention you guys talked about the fact that being a good third receiver with J.J. Lapp and Cole Burgess being you know national level threats. Supreme. But Cortland had two other receivers this year go down with season-ending injuries. There was a group of four and it was Rashad Tucker and C.J. Messina who went down during the middle of the season. Joe Idevio was behind all these guys. And Coach Fitzpatrick told me during the year that uh, Idibia is the kind of kid who could be a starter anywhere, but he's behind all these guys, and he had to step up about midway through the season and kind of assume a role. He didn't catch his first touchdown pass until Cordica Jug against Ithaca, and then he had three against Alma and two tonight. So for a guy who really wasn't necessarily in the plans to be a, a contributor to this offense, to see what he did, and now with Burgess and Lap graduating. He'll be a, definitely a, a guy to step up.
3: Joe Devio, the pride of Massapequa, New York. I think I'm gonna throw a, throw a game ball to J.J. Lapp. You know, this is a guy that we weren't sure was gonna go this week. Like he he got carried off last week yeah, at Randolph. Randolph-Macon, yeah. and we weren't sure he was gonna go. We watched him in warmups a little bit during the pregame. looked like he was running okay, about as you know as hard as you go in warmups. And then we get into the game; he's running by dudes running by guys, and he had a big touchdown. He could have had one more. Uh, boys overthrew him one time. Yeah. Uh, but J.J. Lap big impact in this game in a spot where we weren't sure that Burgess was going to have that compliment on the other side.
2: That's that's a very meritable uh, game ball, too. I think we're, you're right. We'd all throw it to Zach Boys, okay, if we had the uh, absolute sure. decision to make. Right. I mean, he was also the most outstanding player, so that's the thing, too. But, you know, you can't do it without the guys catching the ball, too, when you have over 300 yards passing.
1: No doubt. Well, and, and if we're going to point out J.J. Lapp running past guys, uh, let's talk, we could talk about who he uh, didn't have to run past, True. which was Ant- Antoine Walker, uh, a cornerback who had a great game uh, last year against Wayne Ruby. Junior in the Stag Bowl and and uh, Ruby did finish with like nine for 109 but I, I was gonna I, say I, he I had really great three and a half quarters, right? Yeah, uh, Ruby ended up uh, getting his late. Uh, and Ethan Groark, a sophomore cornerback, came in and um, you know performed well for for a little while. But uh, they you, you you didn't see a lot of the big catches today on uh, being caught on Nick rummel A lot of them they went after, they went after Groark and uh, they went after the safeties. Not not so much Julian Bell, but. Um, but well, yeah, they attacked that part of the defense, and I think uh, you know Cortland just had too many weapons. We all saw it in person for three weeks in a row.
4: Well, I think Keith will appreciate this one. If I, I would have to give a game ball to some guys like Mark Noel, some of the defensive backs for Cortland. They were, especially in, in the first half, and, and I think I said this on our show, Frank, that part of the reason why Wartburg was able to come back in the game in the semifinals was they held Lennon to three for nine in the second half. And that's what they kind of did in the first half, too. There were a lot of plays where Lennon had a chance to hit on a big pass, but those Cortland DBs were there batting the ball down. And, yeah, I think he finished the first half like 5 of 11. You know, didn't have uh, as normally a accurate game as he usually did. And I think that increased Cortland's confidence. Like, hey, we can, we can cover these guys. I mean, really, Hardy didn't have that, the, the game-breaking play until right before the end of the game. I mean, he obviously had, you know, some other plays here and there with his legs and whatever. But I think the, the defensive backfield for Cortland really played a heck of a game. Obviously, the pressure and the you know, play of the linebackers helped too. But when it came to coverage, DBs came to play today.
1: Yeah, and it was, uh, you know, story of the game, um, very, you know, feeling each other out, defensive first half, and then it escalated into a big back and forth third quarter, tied at 17, tied at 24, tied at 31, it got to the point, it had, it had escalated to uh, where DeAngelo Hardy had a 65-yard catch, Lane had a 64-yard touchdown run, yeah. he had these huge big plays, and uh, you know, the the excitement really, really escalated, and then... You know, Pat, we were live on air, and I was uh, describing the touchdown, and you kind of tapped me on the shoulder, uh, as in Brad Spencer's <laughs> going for two. Maybe you should shut up now.
0: I save the tapping on the shoulder for only the most important things. I wait for Keith so often, and he always gives me like three or four seconds usually before a snap. But I'm like, I need like ten here. Yeah,
1: because it was it was quite a uh, ballsy decision, if I may uh Use such I think we can say that in yeah, the show. Yeah. As, I do think when you're aggressive throughout the year, the kids love to play for teams like that. Like like players respect that. They want to go. They want to go down swinging. And sometimes as the coach, you're actually the one that has to pull the players back and say, look, not right now. Um, but this was for the national championship, you know, uh, and uh, they go for two. And uh, you know, if they get it, man, he's a. Le- I mean, he's already a legend, right? He's twenty nine and zero in his first twenty nine and one now in right. his first thirty games. Yeah. He's already a North Central legend, uh, not to mention his assistant coach career play- and his playing career. Um, but imagine that decision if it goes right for North Central, how he's viewed in uh, in North Central history and and how this game is viewed.
2: Pat, could you uh, tap uh, Keith on the shoulder again because I think we have something else <laughs> we have to do here.
1: <laughs> All, All right. So we talked with uh, Kelly from
0: the class of nineteen ninety eight earlier. We're uh, here in our podcast. We have the only Cortland poster on d3boards.com, who I only know as X Red Dragons 77. Clearly, you are not a 1977 graduate from the looks of you, so I can only assume that it's a uniform number.
8: If I did, I aged really well, but no, my number was 77. 2000 was my last season. All
0: right, first off, congratulations on seeing your alma mater win. Tell us a little bit about. Well, first, tell us about uh, your group that uh, came down with you here tonight.
8: Yeah, so I came in with the '97 class uh, when Coach McNeil took over at Cortland, and uh, you know his thing coming in was to was to bring Cortland to the next level. And you know we kind of went through the uh, the growing pains and the learning curve. And '97 we had a great season. We did make the playoffs, but uh, by the time we had graduated, we we just we never had that opportunity again. So tonight was we were living vicariously through these guys. It was awesome to watch. It was amazing. Um, and I think me and other guys that are here, we just still can't believe that we beat North Central tonight. So, it was an amazing game. So it's finally your let turn.
2: Let me ask you, about 2020, Kurt Fitzpatrick's named your head coach after McNeil uh, hangs it up, and he struggles in Cordica, obviously, and last year's first round loss to Randolph-Macon occurs. What was the feeling of alumni w- w- about whether or not this was the right guy for the job, and, you know, what do you have to say now about how the job he's doing, obviously?
8: He's done a great job. I mean, the first year coming in, you know, when he, we, we beat Ithaca but then lost to RPI in the second round of the playoffs, it's, uh, RPI was good. <laughs> you, can't, you can't take anything away from him. I mean, that running back that, that gave us the business in that game was actually <laughs> he played high school for one of the guys that we had played with. You know, at John J. East Fishkill High School. So, uh, you know, the RPI was good. You can't say anything about it, you know. And, uh, you know, last year going down to Randolph-Macon, it's, those guys were good too. It's just it's the way it shook out. It is what it is. So, What gave it away?
0: <laughs> I, can't, I can't tell. For those
2: that are listening, Keith's wearing a Randolph-Macon sweatshirt.
8: But, uh, you know, I mean, it's – you know, we lost in the big show in, in Yankee Stadium. We got the crappy seed, if I could even say that word. And, you know, we got outplayed in the second half and we lost. But coming in this year – you know, we had a great season, and uh, you know the first couple of rounds of the playoffs, we heard through a great find. We were missing like three starting offensive linemen, and luckily we were able to survive in advance. And things got better, you know. And we, like I posted, I don't know if it was last week, but we had a puncher's chance. If we could score, we we have a shot.
0: When they asked me on ESPN Ithaca on Thursday, does Cortland actually have a chance in this? Yeah, yeah, Cortland has a chance in this because you guys had the offense to keep up with them. And certainly had shown enough defensively that yes, that could absolutely happen. All right. We've got now a crowd of one, two, (laughs) three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Look, I can count all the way up to eight. Uh Cortland fans. Congratulations. Let's let's get a cheer from you
7: guys.
0: (laughs) Awesome. Congratulations to you guys. Thanks for being here. I noticed you didn't use your full name on the podcast. You are keeping that to yourself. That's okay too.
8: Like anonymity. (laughs) <laughs> there you go. because I have low it's karma, so I don't want to get it out there.
0: We'll try to keep the boards up and operating for you.
1: <laughs> but, I mean, what, what a storybook season you guys, for, for Cortland. And uh, some of the things that they mentioned, avenging the loss last year uh, to, to Ithaca, right? Avenging the Randolph-Macon loss. Like, in the end, uh, everything played out the way it should have. The, the loss in the middle of the season to Susquehanna where they, they blow a lead when you put it all together and you look back at what happened, uh, it's, this is an amazing moment for not just this Cortland team, right? But every, every Cortland team that's ever played. And, and, you know, a lot of people had moments like that this yeah. year. Imagine being uh, you know, an old, an old Alma football player and seeing those guys beat mountain union. Like there were a lot of cool moments this <laughs> right. year. And, and as we zoom out and look at the whole season, um, I think we'll appreciate it for, for what it was, what that reminded me of, he was talking about uh, Dan McNeil, and it reminded me of 2005, Bob Rezowitz when Whitewater gets here. Yeah. And you know they first they have to play Mount Union 0203 right we wrote about this uh, earlier in the week and if you're still looking for things to read Ryan Ryan tips uh, wrote this nice nice part of uh, we re- we reviewed all the the big moments from previous Salem trips and uh, it reminded me that Whitewater had to play Mount Union to, to get to a certain level then they get to the stag bowl they lose the first two and then they get there the third time uh, and they finally break through for Cortland to do this You know, even though uh, you, you, know, you, you try to get to another level, you're, you're, you're a playoff team, you're a consistent winning team, and then you, but to, to do it here, to get here your first time, uh, and there's no, we don't have to worry about if we get back, right? Because we've won one, and this is, it's pretty cool just to see a new fan base experience it, a new group of alumni and get to enjoy it.
3: Yeah, really very storybook. If not for, you know, a, a not great seven minutes of football against Susquehanna, we'd be talking about Cortland being undefeated, but if not for that seven minutes of, of not great football by Cortland, Maybe they don't lock in and play the way they did the rest of the season. Maybe they get a different draw in the tournament. Maybe they don't get the right matchups to get this far. So, you know, everything happens for a reason. This was Cortland's story this year, and it ends with the national championship.
2: When's the last time a Pool A winner with a loss in their uh, regular season record won the national championship?
0: Well, UW-Whitewater did one year. I think in 2007 they lost to St. Cloud State. In a regular season game, they won the Poulet out of the WIAC, and they did run the table from there. So it's been a while. That is
1: a hell
3: of a poll, and you Two just now. don't get that uh, on <laughs> uh, <that>. ESPN. <laughs> Greg, this would have happened in 2005 with Mount Union. They lost a, oh, uh, right. a regular, a regular season Odor? game that Look year and went guys. on to win a, a championship. Now they're just showing off.
1: I st- I still think the the amount of things just to reference something that Greg said, the amount of things that kind of fell into place to make this a storybook season for Cortland. Uh, you know, Cole Burgess missing a season again. If you if you read, if you read d3football.com during the week, if you listen to in the huddle, uh, you know these backstories. Uh, Cole Burgess missed a season for essentially for hosting a, a, a party during party. COVID, yep, uh, and and got suspended. Uh, Kicked off campus for a year, missed a year of football. All right, if that doesn't happen, he's not on the team this year, and if he is not on the team this year, Cortland doesn't win the national championship. This guy was incredible, not just tonight, incredible in the semifinals and great uh, in, in previous weeks.
2: I've said many times in many different ways. It sometimes it takes losses for wins in football and in life generally. And in the case of Colt Burgess, the loss he experience actually turns into a win in many different ways in his life here. And as a result, also for Cortland and what he's been able to do. I was heartened
0: to, to see people react to that story the way I had hoped that they would. Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah, it was a mistake. And maybe at the time it might've been seen like as a big thing, but you know, it was, it was, it was a mistake. He accepted his suspension. He learned from it. He went out and made himself better. And you know, it certainly ended up well for him. Certainly, his vision board came true.
2: I hope the pro scouts believe in that fact too. That I uh, have to review the story and everything else.
1: Well, he made a couple pro level catches tonight too. It was a diving catch early in the game, and then the one where he gets his uh, feet down in the end zone, the first touchdown of the second half. Uh, just outstanding catch.
2: His dad uh, actually introduced himself on the uh, field after the game. So uh, he was he, has, did
0: he do okay? Oh my goodness! Yes, he was th- so. So this did not make our podcast, but it did make the yeah, pregame I, I show. I know where this is going, Greg. Right? So uh, I'm sorry. I'm, no, I'm just jumping over everything that we all wanted to say. Right? Cole Burgess said that his dad is 70 years old and can't take all of those heart stopping moments of the first two rounds. and That we had another one of those
2: tonight. He did get out of here, so that's good. I, I saw him. He looked healthy and happy. So there you go. He
3: got a, he got a couple weeks to take it easy, and then yeah, that's true. and then tonight. There you go. And,
1: and if we haven't made clear on this particular podcast, we talked about it a lot earlier, what those heart stopping moments were. Round one, Endicott yeah. has a shot, a throw, a throw into the end zone from the 11 at the end of the game from Clayton uh, Marenghi. That, that throw sails high. Cortland survives, moves on to round two. And I know uh, that was the only time uh, Cortland got to play a home game. Right In in, uh, in this uh, series. In that game, had to convert a 4-5, a 4-15, get the two-point conversion. Amari Kendrick. And then, as as Fran pointed out, felt like they may have scored too soon in that one because right. they gave Grove City a whole bunch of time uh, to drive down the field and set up what would have been a game-winning field goal and by going for two and converting it, uh, they, they hadn't won the game. Just like tonight, even when they had the stop, you uh, you know, even if North Central gets it, Cortland was going to get the ball back, and they hadn't stopped the offense all, all season. So, so many just storybook things that fell into place that when you, when you look back at it, what an amazing, amazing season it was for the Red Dragons.
2: Whether or not the committee was vindicated tonight they are not vindicated. Are we still talking about this? Yeah, he's not gonna well, let it go. Well, no, no. Uh, listen, no, he bowled. just brought it up. So they are not vindicated from putting <laughs> let the record reflect. Yeah, <laughs> go they're, on. They are not vindicated from putting Cortland on the road to Endicott in the first round. No, That's, things like that need to be fixed. Sit.
0: Exactly the words. Yes, thank you. Two more things to do before we get out of here.
3: The points don't matter. That's right. The points don't matter. It's called being a professional. Points don't matter. You play to win the game. And then I give them points. I don't know why. It's just a gag to tie the show together. Now, if you want to crown them, then crown their ass. We review,
0: of course, quick hits. All of us picked North Central to win. We are all wrong. Do you, I don't know. You don't have the final standings in your head, right? So what does that leave us with? Same as earlier.
7: Uh, Frank, wins.
0: Frank wins. We know this. Yes. Frank had it clinched. <laughs> I guess had a it doesn't change. it into tonight, Frank, Frank, Rossi Rossi wins. Yeah. Frank
5: was up three, I think.
3: Quick hits, playoff rounds, yeah. uh, going away. Yeah, absolutely. Congratulations to Frank. We'll Close get to you a score tonight, trophy tonight,
5: though. Um, can I add one thing though? Please, not, Ryan. Not quick hits related, but um, <laughs> uh, surprises and disappointments column. Ooh, that's a good so, one. Yes. Out of the four of us at this table who who took part in that column, all of us picked Cortland as a playoff surprise.
0: There you go, there you go. I think all of us knew that Cortland had beaten Ithaca and Ithaca had beaten Endicott. Ergo, by the law of uh,
2: yes, uh, uh,
0: because addition course. because addition is commutative, therefore Cortland should be able to beat Endicott.
1: I would like to petition the transitive property score board to uh, re-take a look at Cortland versus Ithaca versus Randolph-Macon. It
8: was my understanding that there would be no match.
0: Cortland beat Ithaca by just a little bit. Cortland beat Randolph-Macon by a lot. Randolph-Macon beat Ithaca by a lot. Yes, that triangle doesn't work.
5: What's that make us?
8: Absolutely nothing!
1: Cortland played their best football at the, the best time of the year and absolutely <laughs> uh, deserve to be champions. So we revisited
0: Quick hits. We revisited surprises and disappointments. Thank you, Ryan, for bringing that in. Good catch. Over, under. Let's revisit over, unders. Over, under. Total points, 94.5. I don't have to do a lot of math to know this was 75. This was under. Frank and Pat, correct. Greg picked over. Punts, four and a half. Frank and Greg picked under, correct. I picked over. What was I thinking? That was dumb. (laughs) Punting is losing, but, you know, One of the teams is going to lose this game. I understand that. Punting is losing, Pat. Jaden Alfano, St. John, under 89.5 yards rushing. We all picked over. Uh, There's the buzzer. Thank you. Attendance, 2750.5. Actually, we all picked over, including Frank. Frank, who set the line. I did. And then decided to go over.
2: But it was not monumentally over in the end. It was
0: 3,380. That's a whole... Eighty-one. That's a whole
1: 631 and a half people. All right, last round off making reference of the night, but what do you think the, the attendance would have been if a Virginia team would have been and in 6, the
0: 6,000. Yeah, 6,000-ish 6, sounds good.
7: Threaten the on record. There we go.
0: I know he says that, but Bridgewater was just 100 miles up the road, and they have a natural, like they have a whole town of people to bring. Stone Station brought like 600 people just by themselves as a tailgate. I just don't see 7992 for a Randolph Maker game here.
2: Last week was special. I get that.
1: 4200 was. was amazing, right and it was loud. We'll never know. We will. This is Cortland's storybook. I just keep inserting my alma mater do into you, it.
0: Do
2: you need a tissue before we continue? Or: duration
0: be, uh, of fine. game 307.5. I don't have duration of game, but at some point 320. At some point I looked down and we were past three hours and seven minutes. It's three hours and 15 minutes. I need my readers on for that.
2: Okay, so it wasn't like by the same limit you thought. doesn't matter. I know, you get the over. You set the over under at
0: 3.07 and 30 seconds, and Frank went under, and Greg and I both went over.
3: I wasn't sure it was going to get there because that first half went fast.
0: And then uh, we have a push on this one, the number of the next stag bowl to be held at Salem, Virginia, 55 and a half to be continued. I felt over before, and I suspect that the way things have gone this weekend Salem was not in the mood to bid again they had been burned by the NCAA a couple of times on their big sports right obviously you know the window for this doesn't happen for another few months or whatever I wonder if now Salem is interested in hosting this again it was such a success obviously it was the greatest game in Salem history anyway I would want to have it again if I were them
2: uh, in the pregame, as we were setting things up, Kirk Fitzpatrick came over to talked to James and me, and he was singing the praises of Salem, actually, just like uh, Brad Spencer was as well to us on uh, Wednesday and then again tonight in the postgame. Uh, the coaches themselves are saying such glowing things about Salem. Whether or not they've been in the game or not before, it was just clear that they knew what they were doing here despite the lapse for six years.
1: Yeah, I I mean I I thought the history of, of Kurt Fitzpatrick and Brad Spencer as D three players. You know, both of them yeah. said the words road to Salem resonated with them. That right you know, when they were players and when they were young assistants, Salem was where everybody was trying to get to. And then they got here and again North this is North Central's fourth stag bowl, but the first one they played in Salem and obviously the first one for Cortland, They got here and they've said it's not it's not the venue, it's not the, the um you know the perks, or, or whatever it is. It's the way people treat D three, and the way this city embraces the game that they loved. Uh, Brad Spencer said in the post game, "I don't know why you'd ever leave."
3: Yeah, Brad. Brad Spencer talked uh, a bit about uh, North Central's experience this week. Other than losing, everything this week it was was great. Uh, and and he did say the quote is, "I don't know why you would have the game somewhere else."
5: I talked to a handful of players. Uh, former players, alums, everybody in the parking lot, in the stadium, uh, marching band members for North Central, everybody absolutely gushed about the, the people, the vibe of Salem. I mean, they, they genuinely loved it. A couple of the, the North Central folks said, and I wasn't at the last couple of stag bowls when they were in Canton or Annapolis, but they said that it looked like North Central traveled better here than they did to other places huh. and kind of surprised me but because those other stadiums are more of a enclosed bowl big they, thing too. they they liked the the sort of open air uh, feel of the physical stadium itself and so I mean there was there wasn't a single person who had a bad thing to say about Salem they just it, it, high and low they loved it and you could read Ryan tips story by the way
0: on the front page of d3football.com well done well done
1: and look, those age well. Like the, the pregame stuff doesn't age necessarily that well, but that, that story will age well.
0: And I have one more bit of news to add before we kind of slide out of here. And I know we've survived last call, and I will still have another slice of pizza. It's been sitting here for an hour and five minutes and 11 seconds or thereabouts. We name our All-America team before the game. And our All-America team... You know, that is when the audience is there. We're not going to do it after the game as much as we would like to do so. It just makes sense to do it when there's an audience that people are paying attention. And then typically what happens is we come back the next July. We look at the number of people who have graduated, moved on, transferred, run out of eligibility, et etc. Cetera, et cetera, and then we kind of ladder everyone up. I am saying for this audience now that between the end of week 15 when we locked in our picks and next july we will be reordering quarterbacks and whatever the order is zach boys will be ahead of luke lanon which is not a thing that we usually do but then again we don't always have something like this happen in the
3: stag bowl you don't want two quarterbacks on the same team
0: I generally don't want two quarterbacks on the same team. That is something that maybe some other people might do. That is not
2: what our All-America team does. To, to your credit or defense or whatever you want to call it, Zach Boyes would tell you probably with the mistakes he was making at certain points in time uh, during the playoffs and other times that maybe he didn't deserve to be ahead of Luke Lane and right off the bat. That basically they had not needed to prove to the world because the world wasn't believing in them that he needed to be there, et cetera. Oh, I feel like we
0: made absolutely the right decision through 15 weeks, and through 16 weeks there's more evidence that seems fruitful to pay attention to.
2: Do we already do uh, offensive-defensive players of the year and all that stuff on – (laughs) Okay. Frank's a veter- <laughs> Frank is a
1: veteran
3: of yeah, these post-game pods <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Pat The man is not in any rush to get out of here You are on the ball I love it We did name our Defensive Player of the Year We named our, our Defensive
0: Player of the Year in the pregame So this year And we'll see how this continues to go in the future This year, our Defensive Player of the Year And the Cliff Harris Award Were basically going to be one and the same Those six finalists that were named by the Cliff Harris Award organization, I think only on Friday finally, were the six players who were our regional players of the year. And we've had conversations with these folks throughout the course of the last couple of months to just, you know, kind of hash out how these things are going to take place. They were all in favor of that. And so when in the pregame show, Wardburg linebacker Owen Grover was named the Cliff Harris Award winner, he was also named the D3Football.com Defensive Player of the Year. Now let me move ahead to Coach of the Year. Maybe Coach of the Year will be easier than Offensive Player of the Year after Friday's game. I'm going to nominate Kurt Fitzpatrick, and i see if there are any objections or other people. Obviously, we, other people would be considered, and we could certainly talk about them briefly. It's 1.32 in the morning, and the last call was 20 minutes ago,
2: so I'll just put that in people's brains. I asked the question of him when he took over 2020, COVID, he he didn't have a real first starting year after leaving Morrisville. And I asked him, did you ever see this coming? And he said, eventually maybe, but not this quickly. Uh, It took a guy like him who had the vision and the guts along the way with some of the calls he makes and whatnot uh, to make this happen. And so I don't no, this national championship would have been possible without Kurt Fitzpatrick at the helm, and so I agree with that call. Anybody else?
1: Yeah, I, don't, I don't have a dissenting vote. I will just say the job Kurt Fitzpatrick did along the, along the way was masterful from deciding that Cortland should ride the bus instead of fly in the team bonds, <laughs> yeah. from keeping these guys cool as a cucumber coming in to a stag bowl against what felt like this mighty, insurmountable team or at least was billed as that, Uh, they never acted like that. They seemed like they were fine with it. And then uh, even down to making the the right call, the timeout on the two-point conversion, forced North Central to
3: choose another play, and uh, they came up with a stop. Earlier tonight, Keith pointed out that Cortland, throughout these playoffs, they've had to go through five almost completely different styles of games. And Kerfage Packers had to manage injuries through the first two weeks, played close grinder games, low-scoring games, gets into the third and fourth weeks of the postseason. He gets to open things up a little bit. He gets to do a shootout game against Alma. And then, you know, the perfect week of preparation, I guess, for Randolph-Macon. He had his guys ready to go right off the bus. And then tonight, two completely different halves of football, two completely different styles. And, you know, he pushed the right buttons all throughout the playoffs, all throughout the season, really. Hard to hard to disagree with Kurt Fitzpatrick as coach of the year.
4: Yeah, I would I would say it's got to be Coach Fitz, but I will I will throw a shout out to uh, Andrew DiDonato of Grove City. He was a fantastic uh, coach this season. What he did for Grove City, and it, you know he's had a longer burn in, um, in some respects. And you know, obviously he you know he lost to Cortland on a on a missed field goal, but the job that he's done I think has been fantastic. So if if uh, if, if Coach Fitz is one A. De Donato is my 1B.
0: There's certainly a good amount of achievement over the lifetime of that coaching job, right? All right. So, Kurt Fitzpatrick, D3Football.com Coach of the Year. You could go ahead and tweet that, Fran, if you like. I'm a little busy. I'm not going to tweet it at the moment. Now we're to Offensive Player of the Year. And so what we've done in the past is we have considered members of our first team All-America team... And typically, that has really been—we're really talking about quarterbacks, running backs, and wide receivers. And if you think about history, we're really just talking about quarterbacks and running backs. But we'll talk about all these guys. If the game had gone differently, we would just be Luke Lane and by acclamation, and it would be a short conversation. But instead, you got your Luke Lane, and you got your Giovanni Weeks, you got your Hunter Clausen, you got your Wayne Ruby, you got your D'Angelo Hardy. We've never named an offensive lineman as the National Offensive Player of the Year. And we've never named a tight end as the National Offensive Player of the Year. We have once named an offensive lineman as a Regional Offensive Player of the Year. But I would like to put forward two nominees and then have a conversation. I would like to nominate Luke Laynen, quarterback for North Central, and Hunter Clausen, running back for Wartburg.
2: Saw the coming a mile away, to be honest with you. Well,
0: I mean, if you look at the list, right, who are th- who else? It's not going to be D'Angelo Hardy because if it was going to be Hardy, it was going to be Lanin. Um, Weeks did not get, and Weeks and Ruby did not
2: get really far enough into the playoffs to be part of the conversation. These are the guys to talk about, right? Hunter Clausen was a product not only of his skill, but of his offensive line uh, in ways that with, without one, the other doesn't happen to a certain degree. Luke Langan, even in this game, created scenarios that were beyond just what his offensive line were doing for him. His speed... His talent out there, it was special. It didn't get changed by the result of tonight. In fact, he almost single-handedly was bringing that team back every time from down a touchdown. And so I would go Luke Lainan before I would go Hunter Colosson, although he had a great season, too. Right,
0: Frank's point is certainly valid, right? Luke Lainan played very well tonight, right? His passing numbers were not great. His running numbers were really good. Ryan?
5: If. North Central had converted that two point conversion. Yeah. It would be laying in unquestionably, right? This is not a offensive player of the week or the moment. This is <laughs> of the year. Yeah. It's of the whole season. It's true. And a two point conversion, three yards, whatever it would have been, he was. Uh, I, I, I think i I think it's 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 Luke Lennon. He's he's been he's been solid the whole season. The team's been amazing the whole season. He made plays. It's not like it's not like he faltered significantly and got blown out or anything. He had an amazing game by any measure that's reasonable. Greg, last word on this.
3: Yeah, Luke Lennon's season in total. Uh, Historic. You know, he's, he's a Glarity Trophy winner. He is setting a new efficiency rating that is would have been unheard of before this year. Um, we're tracking throughout this, this year more touchdowns than incomplete passes for most of the year. Just ludicrous, ludicrous things. And despite tonight's result, uh, Luke Landon would be my choice for Offensive Player of the Year. So, Luke Landon. The quarterback for North Central is ad 3
0: footballcom Offensive Player of the Year. Congratulations to those three. And this was Around the Nation podcast number 350, released on December 16th, 2023. Thanks for listening and keep an eye out for off-season coverage as we move into the off-season. Oh my God, are we ready for the off-season? Headed into 2024, we are all ready. For the offseason, we're very thankful for the support of our monthly Patreon subscribers, and you can join them or learn more about it by visiting patreon.com slash d3sports. And if you can't afford to support us financially, you can help us out by telling a friend, tell a classmate, tell a fellow alum, tell the mom of the d3football.com coach of the year about this show, although I know she already knows. Give us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts if you're so inclined that helps other people find this show. You can reach us to talk more about Division Three football all year on X using the D3FB hashtag. I post from at D3 Football. Greg is at Wally Wabash. Frank is at Frank Rossi. Keith is at D3 Keith. James JB. I just keep saying JB. Is at, what is the actual? Is it IT Huddle in the Huddle? No,
4: it's D3FB. D3FB Huddle.
0: D3FB Huddle is the is the handle. Ryan tips your Twitter handle. News tips. News tips with two Ps. I remember that. Great place to find all sorts of things on that platform. There's lots of things you don't need to find on that platform. What's Fran's handle. Fran's handle is at Elia Fran. That's your email.
7: Fran Elia, actually, but I hardly ever use it, so go to Red Dragon Pride.
0: Red Dragon Pride is big here tonight in Salem, Virginia. We have a message board devoted to Division Three sports. Did you know? Did you know? Uptime this week, 100%. Join the conversation by registering to post at d3boards.com, and you can follow d3football.com on Facebook. The executive producer of the Around the Nation podcast is Patrick Coleman. It's written by Patrick Coleman and Greg Thomas. This edition of the podcast produced in conjunction with Frank Rossi, James Baker, and In the Huddle. Production assistance provided by Dave McHugh and Damara O'Malley. There's no additional audio in the whole thing other than DJ Mentos, who provides the theme music. That track is called Power 2. We use more of those tracks as well. You can find them on DJ Mentos as well as on Spotify. All right, thanks to all the guests. All season, this wraps up season 17. This was episode 24. It's been a good season of this podcast. I'm very happy about that. My commitment to the audience is to do them more regularly during the off season. Sometimes January is tough. Sometimes March is really tough. We'll do what we can do. Keith McMillan, he's to my right. He was the OG host and the originator of Around the Nation on D3Football.com. Greg Thomas, two seats to the right, never gets to talk when we are in these big podcasts. Anytime Keith is here, Greg never seems to get to say anything.
1: Greg talked a lot. He had he had beautiful things to say. He just You're speaking for him. Do you know that? He just (laughs) puts it in at the
3: right time. The people get to hear me yammer every week all season when we get Keith on the mic, I like to give him some space.
2: Give the people what they want. Exactly. <laughs> Two-point conversions and Keith. <laughs>
3: We're more grateful as
0: ever. Greg Thomas taking over the column and the show. Thank you, everybody. James is taller than I thought he they was. I'
1: been since 10th grade.
0: Defensive but, backs. But Ryan Tips is taller than all y'all.
1: Ryan Tips is the tallest of this group. Three-quarters of the Around the Nation writers are sitting at this table right now. Shout out Adam Turr. Podcast. It is a
0: podcast.
1: I didn't realize that was a menu that I was writing on. I definitely thought that was a a stat package. It's a memento now.